Welcome back to The Table Women, a podcast by and about women in the entertainment industry. I'm Sarah DeForce. And I'm Victoria Banks. We asked you for questions to use in our special Q&A episode to start the second half of season three. And boy, did we get them. Actually, we got so many that we had to record a double episode to answer them all. So here's Q&A episode two of two. You know the drill. Pull up a chair and get nice and comfy because everyone is welcome and everyone deserves a seat at The, the Table. table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think, and don't let them stop you. Stop you, don't, don't let them stop. Stop you, don't let them stop you. Don't, don't let them stop. Don't, don't let them stop you. Let's go back to the Instagram questions. We have a couple oh. great ones. Um, is there a routine or superstition you have while on tour or performing, etc.? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this takes me back to my days touring Canada and I had this incredible um, woman who was my manager, Kate Howes, and I loved her dearly and she was just such a go-getter and she would come out on tour with me and in the early days, you know, you're not on a bus or anything, you are flying and renting cars and just hoofing it and driving your own car when you're mm -hmm. opening for people a lot of the time. It's not very glamorous until you step on that stage in front of 10,000 people but they people don't know that you were just in a car that you rented it, and you drove it all night for 10 hours to get where yeah. you're going. So uh, she and I would go together and um, and we'd do, we'd do these tours and we had this running joke about like my body can't handle caffeine. <laughs> I don't drink <laughs> coffee, I am a tea person, but if I have caffeine, like coffee level caffeine, then my heart starts to race and my voice gets all fluttery and it's like I feel like my feet aren't on the ground. It's like the way most people feel when they have way too many cups of coffee is the yeah. way I feel after one. So I would always threaten to that I'm gonna drink coffee before the show because I really wanted like a latte or something and she'd go no you're not allowed to she you cannot drink <laughs> coffee until the last day of the show and the last show of the tour and on the last mm -hmm. show of the tour we would go to up in Canada to Tim Hortons and I'd get myself some kind of like really rich iced coffee drink and I would drink it and then I would drive like 12 hours on the heart palpitations that I got after <laughs> that so it was like this little inside joke of never any caffeine before I sing or else I would sound like a bleeding lamb when I was singing. <laughs> so, um, so that's one thing. And the other thing is like, that. this is a more practical thing, but um, I've figured out how to, that, that I need to use a voice steamer, like one of those mm. personal steamers that you can get from Walgreens or whatever. Um, I started using one when I was on t a big theater tour and I was singing these shows that were like three hours every night and it was just me going, mm -hmm. you know, with a couple people backing me up. And, uh, and of course, every song I write is like, hi, Lord, hi, Lord, and nowhere to breathe and all of this. So yeah. um, you have to, it's like vocal Olympics. And, uh, and I, I got sick and I was trying to figure out how to sing through being sick and having a cough and somebody told me get one of these steamers and I started steaming right before I go on stage and then I could sing through the first half and I would just be losing it by the end of the first half and then I go steam again and then I could do the second half and 
but it was like once I steamed I was hitting notes I didn't think I could ever hit you know and it's beautiful it makes your voice sing so well and so now I've started doing it all the time even if I'm not sick I'll steam my voice with the steamer a few minutes before I go on stage and next thing you know I've got range and power and it's pretty cool so that's so awesome I'm gonna have to get one of those and try it it's like the magic trick it really is I love that. I that's probably better. I have I have a couple and it's so funny you say that you I'm a tea person too. I don't drink coffee. I think I've mm-hmm. maybe drank actual coffee like four times in my life. Um and my family and my friends always joke I'm like a little British grandma. Like I even do like little like Scottish like shortbread biscuits with my oh, tea in the it. afternoon. It's a- yes. aggressively like just that's adorable, great. I hear. Um it's just like my normal thing. Yeah. Um but Um, I also get really affected by caffeine as well as any kind of cold medicine. I learned that the hard way. Same here. Same here. Early on, I forget my lyrics and it makes me like heart palpitate, like just it's too much. It makes me. And I, before I realized that I had a couple shows early on when I was like 14, 15, Mm -hmm. um, I got really sick and I had to take DayQuil. And um, I think part of it is DayQuil, like it works by drying you out. So you're yeah. dehydrated and it makes your heart beat faster because mm-hmm. you're dehydrated. And I didn't realize that. And I had, um, I forgot my lyrics on stage and um, was also very, uh, you know, because yeah. I, um, I literally, it makes, it creates like basically an adrenaline reaction in your body mm-hmm. and you're like shaky. Um, and so for a while I had really bad stage fright because that like scarred me I got Mm. so embarrassed and so for me I just I realized that I was like yeah I can't do caffeine not that I ever really drank coffee but I definitely can't do caffeine and I can't do any kind of cold medicine Mm -hmm. so if I am sick I do similar to your steaming I'm gonna have to add that but um I will do um, I make this drink because I hate the like throat coat tea. I don't like licorice. Yeah. It's disgusting. Um, so I do mint tea or like a sleepy time tea, you know, like the mint mm-hmm. chamomile mix. And then I do lots of honey and um, drop a couple Ricola th- throat lozenges in there and melt it. Yeah. And it creates like this like syrupy throat <laughs> yes. coaty tea that is does not taste like licorice. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is really good. No citrus because it strips your vocal cords unless you like need to get rid of, you know, gunk. Yeah. But um, yeah, and then I think my biggest thing is because I'm very much a mental person and an overthinker. And so um, I learned that, especially when it's on, um, when I'm in like a round with other people, if I'm nervous, um, I, I mean, before I get on stage anyways, I tend to get cold. Like and when I'm mm-hmm. on stage, I get cold. So I can't do cold water. I just know that I'm mm-hmm. like, I got to ask for water yeah. without ice or bring my own, you know, stuff like that. But I realized that when I was overthinking too much on stage, like trying to remember my lyrics, trying to whatever, because I was scarred from getting my lyrics as yes. like a young baby songwriter, um, it just made it worse. And so mm-hmm. I started, I, my ritual is to, you know, practice beforehand backstage, make sure everything's tuned up, whatever. And then I just, as soon as we go on stage um I like to kind of like forget about it and put Mm -hmm. it out of my mind as best I can and it it takes work to be able to do that as an overthinker let me tell you Mm -hmm. but um I like to listen to and really feel or even just zone out and kind of like move on stage with whatever someone else is playing and like not even think about myself um 
And I've had people say to me like, oh, you look like you're having so much fun on stage. You're always like, always the one like moving to other people's things, like your facial. And I'm like, yeah, because I'm, I both want to give the respect of listening to somebody else's art that they're sharing. And I also want to not get in my own head about what I'm about to do because that never works. I always set myself out. Um, And so I think those are my like rituals. I don't necessarily have any superstitions. Um, Another thing is I do not understand how people smoke and or drink before or on stage. Um, I have like two sips of alcohol. My voice is like shot. And I I get tipsy very quickly. So I've never been able to drink and remember my lyrics, but mm-hmm. I did discover that Jack Daniels is uh, pure straight up Jack Daniels works wonders if you have a cough. So um, I have been known to have that on stage and take a sip here and there between songs if I'm if I have a cough but that's um, nice probably not the healthiest way to deal with that cough you got to steam first steam first Mm -hmm. and what you're saying about staying out of your head is a really great observation and that was a huge learning experience for me as an as an artist when I first stepped out on those big stages because mm-hmm. I had never done any big performances other than play for the like 100 people at the Bluebird and then all of a sudden yeah. I'm opening for Reba McIntyre in front of eight or nine thousand people mm-hmm. and um, I did not know how to go about that and there was no I mean, I had like seven days to prepare. So, you know, I was like, well, I'm going to practice. I'm going to know what I'm doing. And then I'm just going to have to have this constant inner dialogue mantra of you've got this, you've got this, you've got this, you've got this. They're on your side. You've got this. And and take the hard out of it because part of you keeps thinking, oh, this should be really hard. This should be really bad. I'm probably going to mess up because this is the stakes are really high. So um, don't mess up. Whatever you do, do you're going to forget the next line. Like you have this whole internal dialogue that goes on and you have to shut that down. You can't let yourself tell yourself that stuff. Um, As soon as you start hearing yourself doing that, you got to stop it and you got to be like, I got this. I know what I'm doing. It's easy, easy, yeah. easy peasy. I just have to exactly. keep telling myself that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very much is like fake it till you make it in a way yeah. because, but you're not faking it because it is true. It's just your ego or your fear getting in the way. And even further on that, I think my biggest thing that I had to learn to really do for myself because I was always very conscious of, you know, not being a bother and other people and whatever mm-hmm. as a woman, but just as who I am as a person, I like to make people happy. And so really just ask for what you need before yeah. a show. Whether it is, I would always, um, I, I learned very early on um, that I need to be alone. Mm-hmm. Um, like the day of, I, that doesn't mean like, oh my God, nobody talked to me. But I started very young at like 13, 14. And so my mom would drive me everywhere, whether it was eight down, eight, hours down to LA to work and record or play or to shows and whatever. And so I always had someone there and she would try in her way to help me. But it was so entirely unhelpful mm. because it would be like, have you practiced this? Do you oh. have this? Do you whatever? Oh, whatever. Can we talk? Do we, what songs yes. are you going to play? Um, I'm so excited, you know, and I'm just yeah. like, I, I can't do this. And yeah. that was a big thing for me. I didn't know that that was, I thought it was more, something wrong with me as opposed to just something that I needed not to happen to do my best. And Mm -hmm. so when I really started coming into my own, um, 
I would go like, mom, this is not on you, but like, I can't, when she would come to visit me, if I had a show, I'd be like, I need you to like leave my tiny little 600 foot apartment um, (laughs) because I need to be alone. Like I need you to leave. Um, And it's not because I don't want you here. It's because I need to be alone in practice. And I can't do that with like, I kid you not, this literally happened the first time she came to visit me. I love her and she will not be offended. But like, I, she hadn't seen me play in so long because I moved across the country. And when I was practicing, she's just sitting there staring at me. She started crying because she's so oh happy. She's gosh. so proud. And I'm like, I can't get through a song That's if you're beautiful, crying at but me. Yeah. It's beautiful. I appreciate it. Yeah. Love that you love me. But I, this can't happen. Yeah. And so, you know, I started really asking for what I needed. Or even like um, green room at a show, even when there's no one else around. You've done your stuff. It was like, can I have water with no ice? Or mm-hmm. can I have this and this? Or is there a place I can go alone? Or can I go on stage ahead of time or can I sit in that chair because I prefer to go first instead of last you know and if it's not doable you have to be okay and like able to pivot but if it is doable just ask for what you need yeah and if you're not sure just ask yeah um I wish I would have done that earlier (laughs) having someone like you said like your mom meant so well but having someone put pressure on you with those questions before a show it's that's like the opposite of what you need and it might just be a personality thing you and I have a similar kind of personality and how we approach things but it's like we're having to work really hard to take the pressure off ourselves that we're putting on ourselves so having someone put more pressure on from externally about something like that makes it worse for me and I had a manager one Mm -hmm. time who right before I walked on a big stage to do a show said to me be magnanimous and I was like that is the worst possible thing. <laughs> that is You're the like, worst possible thing you could do because that takes me out of myself and I start mm-hmm. worrying about how do I look? How am I coming across? Yeah. You know, it's more about connect with me and feel rooted to the ground and just do my thing and resonate with yeah. it and hope that it comes across, you know? Like, yeah. But that's all I can do. Oh, so, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we've all had that. And people mean so well. And it's really hard for people who aren't creators or performers to grasp yeah, they're why trying that to help. is. They're, trying they're to really help. trying to help. And yeah. so, you know, just say it with love, but also say it with boundaries if you need <laughs> yes. to. Because it's really important to ask for what you need. Yeah. Um, all right. So we have another one from Facebook. And it says, are there any subjects or experiences that you have not been able to write about to this day due to the personal, emotional, or sensitive nature of of it maybe it's something that is so important to you that you're just waiting for the perfect words before you attempt to tackle it because you want to do it justice um that is such a great question it's a great question i have a couple of different answers for that one um i don't know if there's anything in particular that i have not been able to write about but I think um, for me at least, and when I write with or for other people that are, we're, where we're attempting to tackle a bigger subject, I can usually do it really well when it's someone else. Mm. But when, um, when it's important or deeper um, or more serious, I find that I have to actually take myself out of it and make sure to not go too too deep or too hard and I don't mean that as like a don't tell the truth but there are ways as a songwriter there's both like an emotional intuitiveness to something and a logical understanding of the craft where you have to use your best judgment and say 
I say X, Y, Z, but if I phrase it this way, it's true, but it might be too harsh for the listener to hear, or it might be a little too abrasive, or it might feel too dark. Even Mm -hmm. though it's a dark subject, if you make it too dark, it's not going to be able to be listened to. Um, And so I think for me, I, like we both have talked about, we're both kind of oversharers and I have no problem going deep. So I think my problem is not being not able to write that it's being able to write it but making sure that i don't go too far Mm -hmm. making sure that i stay honest and hold myself or other people in the room to the integrity and the honesty of things but also making sure to if i need to take a step back and come back to it later or take myself out and go okay this is true but is it presented in the best way to be received well or received truthfully that's the hard part with when you go through things, especially things that are traumatic, how do you, how do those things find their way into your music? And I've, I've been, I've struggled with that in the past too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, well, after my divorce, I wrote quite a bit from that perspective. Um, and that's common in the industry. Mm-hmm. But then um, I experienced my mom's suicide. And something like that happens and all of a sudden it's like, well, what are you going to make out of that that anybody yeah. wants to hear, right? And and it's yeah. it's that anybody wants to hear, but also like that I want to put out in the world. Like, do I want to put mm-hmm. this really dark, depressing thing out into the world because this is how I'm feeling right now? And for me, I have to sit with something for a while before I feel like I'm ready to say it in my music um because i have to find how i'm going to look at it um Mm -hmm. and i want to look at it in a way that's empowering um that is you know empathetic to how others feel who have experienced it but also feels like it has a ray of hope and and a a reason and a light to it and um it can be hard to find that when you're in the middle of something like that or feeling the grief of something really heavily so um my career as a songwriter has forced me to be in the songwriting chair sometimes sooner than I'm ready to be after something like that. Um, and after, after my mom's death, I was really grateful that I was on tour as an artist because then I could perform, which was hard enough in itself, but at least I was relying on what I'd already written. Right. Um, so when, but I knew when the time came to write again, I was terrified of that time. Um, Mm -hmm. of getting back in that chair. I didn't know what I was going to say and I felt like I needed to say something about it. It it was so much everything that I was feeling. Yeah. Um, But I didn't know what to do with it. And when that day came, I was able to carefully choose who I went into the room with as a collaborator. So um, actually I worked with my friend Tia Sillers and... I knew that she would be a safe place for me to fall apart if that happened or mm-hmm. to fail at writing if that happened or whatever, you know, that she would hold that space with me. Um, yeah. So, and it was really kind of a beautiful thing because I went in there not knowing what I what I was saying, but I had a little piece of something. It was actually my song, Get On The Train, that I released mm-hmm. uh, that's out on, on streaming. But um, I had this thought going over and over in my head get on the train get on the train get on the train and I don't know what it is and I was like playing her this thing and I was like I don't know what this is and she said I think what you're trying to say is 
sometimes you want to lay down on the track and give up the fight and wait for the train to roll over you, but you can't, you got to get up and you got to get on the train and keep going. And I was like, Oh my God, yes. Thank you. And that is what a great co-writer does is Mm -hmm. like pulls. It was like, she pulled this thing off me that I didn't know what it was and showed it back to me and said, I think that's what you're trying to say. That's what your inner self is trying to say to you in this. And then we, we created the song out of that. And I was so grateful. And I created some other songs too, a song called Firefly. I mean, so many songs that had a light in them out of that experience. Mm So that was really cathartic to me. And one of my favorite things as a songwriter is when life sort of forces you to look at the things that you go through and find a reason, a meaning, a purpose, a light in some of the darkest things that you experience. Um, It's Mm -hmm. therapy, really. Um, But I think there's, there is one thing that I haven't written about. um, Mm -hmm. And that's my experience with, um, with infertility. Mm -hmm. Um, My husband and I, tried to have kids for several years, went through procedures, um, did the whole shebang, and we were unable to conceive. And then we decided to adopt. And so both of our children came to us through adoption, which was a beautiful and terrible experience. It's both. Um, And I'm so grateful. I I can't think of I could not think of my life being any other way. These are my children, you know, uh, Mm -hmm. and we're meant to be my children. but I have not written about that. And I think part of it is it's very intense. It's not something that has been written about very much yet, which probably means it should be, but Mm -hmm. also because I feel like, um, it involves them and it's Mm -hmm. their business as much as it is mine, or maybe more their story than mine. And so sometimes I feel like if and when I put that out into the world, I'm going to have to be very careful about how I do that. And I haven't quite figured that out yet because I want to be respectful of them and their story. And, you know, I was Mm -hmm. thinking about that today because I was listening to Adele's new record, her record. And she has a song on there um, that's for her child. And it talks about her pain and going through her divorce and there are sound bites of her talking to her child through the song Mm -hmm. um and it's very intensely intensely personal it's really emotional to listen to and part of me questioned how her child is going to feel about that song when they're grown um and whether they will feel like that was an invasion of their privacy or not. Mm-hmm. Um, a, as a mom, I just can't help but wonder that. And so that's yeah. that's my concern, you know, like, and with adoption, you have to be respectful of the fact that as much as it's my experience to have gone through this, it's more their story than it is yeah. mine. And it's their story to tell more than it is mine. It's more important that they get to feel that their story is told right. So yeah. I don't know if I'm the person to tell it or not. <laughs> yeah. And that could, you could decide in five years that you want to write about it. Mm-hmm. You could never want to write about it. You could, one of them, I know um, Alexa and I, both of them are like yeah. a little bit musical at least. They are, yeah. And Alexa so, and you know, they yeah. could become songwriters and want to write about it. And maybe they'll want to write about it with you. There's yeah. a million different reasons and ways. And um, thank you for sharing that. I think that's such an important thing to talk about. I've, I've heard other people also speak um, specifically like celebrities or people with podcasts talking about, you know, I'm not 
talking about my kids here because mm-hmm. I don't want them to feel like the whole world knows their business yeah. before they do or before they're ready to, you know, talk about it or they can even make their own decisions. And we're um, in such a social, uh, social business too, and we share ourselves. Yeah. On social media, we share so much of our lives and that it's like part and parcel of that a lot of the time is yeah. our children. And then there are times when I share things on social media and I'm like, oh, maybe mm-hmm. I hope they aren't mad at me someday that I did that, you know? Yeah. And I, I, I think there's also this aspect of there is something that I haven't written about and I don't think I ever will. Um, and I think it's I, I think we don't often talk enough about sometimes you don't you just don't need to yeah you work it out in other ways Mm -hmm. or you deal with it or think about it in other ways and you don't you just don't need to or you just don't want to and Mm -hmm. that's okay and i think going off of of what you were saying too it's it's like we give so much of ourselves and it's our job to be honest yeah but that does not mean that we are beholden to telling every bit of our truth or Mm -hmm. that um, our audiences or publishers or listeners or whatever it may be are entitled to every bit of us. And I think, you know, even going back to Taylor Swift, you know, people feel like they know you so well, whether you're on a podcast or whether you're Taylor Swift. And and often people can get upset with you for not sharing every bit or whatever. And then it's like, when you s- go into this industry, you, you do on some level sign up to be in the public eye. You sign up to be a role model of some kind. You sign up to be mm-hmm. famous at whatever level, whatever. But that doesn't mean that you give away your autonomy or yeah. your privacy or your life. And and those lines can get really, really blurred, especially when people care so much. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so yeah i think that's also important to to say that you don't have to even if someone wants you to yeah if you don't want to you don't feel like you'll do it justice you're just not in the mood it's something you never want to talk about that's okay too just because you chose this job doesn't mean that you you don't have any autonomy yeah yeah And, and i think that if people looked at my catalog of songs and chose to decide who I was based on that, it would not mm. be accurate. Um, yeah. There are some songs that Same. are that I'm really proud of that are more me and ones that I aspire to live by. But your your catalog of songs is more of a of a set of Polaroid snapshots of the ways that you've felt in your life and the things yeah. that have come across your radar and. Um, so and and you try on different things and you explore different things and that's why i i have such compassion for someone like taylor swift because she's so out there in the public eye and people make draw conclusions about who she is and and how she feels and what her life is like based on the songs that she's written and that's all you've got to work on Mm -hmm. to work by and that's not going to give you a picture it'll it's going to give you a a very weird picture of who that person is it's not going to be right um so yeah there are always parts of ourselves that that we withhold and parts of ourselves that are that maybe run a little bit deeper or parts that just don't lend themselves to being shared in commercial music you know i mean commercial music has its limitations for what you can say how you can say it so case in point this podcast we talk a lot about 
things that you it's hard to put into songs or you can't yeah. or you just don't want to um that's a great question it is um, thanks for that one. yeah we have one more instagram can we talk about the production side of music a little bit it's pretty mm. open-ended mm-hmm. um but uh, i'm assuming maybe they're asking you know what exactly does that look like how does it happen mm-hmm. um kind of like a general thing so from your experience of things vic what well does that i would look say like if you? you have not um listened to our interview with karen kazowski yes. go back and listen to that episode in season one she's an incredible writer producer and has produced all the mickey guyton stuff and uh washboard yeah. union a bunch of different things in canada um but yeah, I mean, the the production side, it, it has become really common now for producers to be songwriters and vice versa. It's part mm-hmm. of the songwriting process. Now, when you're writing a song, you sit in, in the room usually with someone who is capable of making that song into a demo recording. Yeah. Uh, they play lots of instruments or they program the instruments and they build the tracks and uh, they end up putting creating the the song as it sounds when it's pitched to an artist or perhaps the artist is in the room with you and they create what might even be the the radio single that goes out into the world or yeah. goes out on streaming platforms uh, on the day that you write the song so it's become an integral part of the songwriting process whereas before it really wasn't um i think it became that in the pop world a lot earlier than it did yeah. in the country world um oh, yeah but it, back when I started writing, it would be, you know, you take, you write your songs and then you take them to the studio and you produce your, your um, recordings, your demo recordings in the studio by telling the players what to play. And now being a producer yeah. has become more on the writing side, being the player of the, the instruments, or maybe you might yeah. bring someone in to play one or two things, but usually mm-hmm. you are creating the entire track yourself. So uh, within the industry, there are very few female producers, um, but that yeah. is changing, thankfully. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm glad, you know, places like, well, Belmont, where I teach, requires songwriting students to learn how to use uh, um, logic which is mm-hmm. the programming software to be able to produce. So it's part of the deal and there's an expectation there that you figure it out. And so there's not the double standard that there used to be about, oh, girls aren't good at science, girls aren't good at math, yeah. girls aren't good at programming, so therefore they're not good at production. Um, so yeah, I think that's changing things. And there are some real badass women out there who are who are producers and, and Karen's oh, yeah. one of them, but there are quite a few. I know like we both know Lo Miller. She's yep. she's killing it in, in pop writing production. So mm-hmm. um, there's yeah, quite a few out there that are great. No, I agree. It's definitely even in coming from LA and moving to Nashville, bouncing between the two cities for Um, years before but when I moved here permanently I'd say the first year and a half um, producers still were pretty uncommon Mm -hmm. in country rooms or even even in pop a lot of people because maybe it's probably probably just because it's based in Nashville Um, but oftentimes there weren't producers in the room and you get it produced out or you'd write it and then take it to a producer and then it really quickly 
country started catching on because they were getting kind of left in the dust and the caliber of pitching, there was a really big difference. Um, And also people from LA and New York and other places were moving to Nashville and uh, more companies were opening up more places. And so they were bringing easier, quicker, more profitable ways of doing things into the room. And there's um, an adjustment period. But for me working in mostly pop, hip hop, K-pop, sync like that kind of thing um it's it's also evolved in a very interesting way and I'd say my favorite thing is um make sure you mesh with them because someone can be really talented Mm -hmm. and just not hear what you hear um and also on the flip side just because someone is talented or their work seems good doesn't mean they are necessarily that great I've had a couple experiences where the work was really good and then I got in the room and I was like oh well you co-produced this and I can tell now that that (laughs) other person really did most of it Mm -hmm. um or they were just kind of like not super nice to work with and and didn't treat the the artist or the singer um well so I'd say on the personal side of things too make sure you like them make sure you like their work make sure um you test stuff out because there are so many talented people and so many people are learning like everybody nowadays uses logic mm-hmm. um or whatever else production wise but um you know it's also in pop hip-hop and k-pop you'll see a lot of people like hey i made this track send it over a different producer will put xyz on it and then send it over somewhere else and a different producer will put something else on it and um, there's different versions of stuff and also um I'd say like train, start to train your ear. When I first started out, it was really hard for me to tell what a good demo sounded like. And now I'm like, ooh, that one little hitch in the mix right Mm -hmm. there or bring the vocals up just Mm -hmm. like two little notches or um, educate yourself on on what sounds good. And and for every genre and area of the industry, there is a different standard Mm -hmm. in sync um, in the stuff that I do. They like vocals up a lot, um, but in a different genre within sync, they might like the vocals tucked um, and, you know, different ways of doing things or different sounds, just like we were talking about how different words or melodies can be you know seen as masculine or feminine there's different styles of production or instruments or whatnot mm-hmm. that are more pop than they are country and if you put them yes. it'll switch and if somebody is really good at programming or building producing tracks in one realm it does not mean that that translates over into them being able to do it in another realm yes. so people generally have sort of a playing field that they master but you can take you know some you can take an amazing pop track builder and they could not nail country or vice versa so Mm -hmm. um and different sounds within country you know some people are really great at certain sounds and than others more pop influence less um yeah that kind of thing so it's such a rabbit hole to go down it is there's so much to learn and so really people generally get good in one specific area of it yeah Uh, but i have a huge respect for people who are able to do that and also in addition to contribute in the writing room so if you can you know and vice versa if if you are if you're a writer and you're working with producers like you were saying train your ear but mm-hmm. also don't be afraid to speak up about your instincts about what you're hearing too yes. if you're wanting something to be different on the track that's being built speak up it doesn't mean that you don't you know have have the right to trust your own gut your own instinct yes. on what you're hearing so yeah. develop a, a language for how to express 
you know, can we, can we do this differently or Mm -hmm. can we try this or that? Um, that's something that I've had to learn as, as a songwriter and you start off going, well, I don't have any business doing that because I'm not the one in front of it, but no, you really do. Or I don't know how to say or communicate this because I don't know the terminology. That's okay. Mm -hmm. Um, just get through it. And I think my final thing going off of that would be to also, um, know how to communicate and don't be afraid to communicate, but also, um, make sure you trust them and then trust them. My Mm -hmm. favorite thing to do is say, hey, this is what I'm hearing or whatever, but I totally trust you. So Mm -hmm. go do what you think sounds cool. I always tell people, especially when it's my artist stuff or where it's just me and a producer, I'm like, I want you to go crazy. I want you to do what sounds cool, what you think is awesome, what you always wanted to try. I want like big here, whatever it is. And then afterwards, I will tell you if anything doesn't work. Yeah. But I don't want to put you in a box and not have you do your best work because I'm micromanaging everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think that's something that's really hard to learn too, because it's your songs are so personal that you have a way that, but oftentimes it'll turn out different than I heard it. And I'll be like, Oh my God, this is so much better. I'm so glad I told you to run with it. Well, and that's the same way that I've always felt about when I was going into the studio and producing um, tracks on with all the session players playing on Mm -hmm. them. Um, And I would always lean towards saying, do your thing. And then I'll listen to that and then we'll yes. start from there and see if it needs to be changed. But go ahead, because I'm not going to tell you what I want from the beginning, because you might think of something mm-hmm. cooler. So first exactly. do your thing and then we'll go from there. Yeah. Trust yeah. is really important and have mm-hmm. fun with it. Yeah. At the end of the day. Yeah. All right. So rapid fire questions. Here we yes. go. If you could ask God slash the universe, higher power, whatever you believe in a question, what would it be? What happens next? Mm. What happens next after this life? That's what yeah. I want to know. I think mine would be the same. I, um, I think it would be what, what after, but also what else? Mm. What else is there out there? Yeah. I, I would want to know the afterlife situation, but also what other things are there going on that we can't mm. comprehend that we're not aware of yeah. that, you know all that stuff if we think um, that we're it on this tiny little oh, yeah. <laughs> planet i somebody <laughs> told me if if you're looking at the size of the universe if planets were grains of sand you could have every grain of sand on every beach in the world and still not have all the planets in the universe yeah and still we think we're the only ones yeah <laughs> absolutely and i also think it's so funny that the what the pentagon confirmed like ufos last year and everyone just was like it was like whatever we got bigger things we got bigger things (laughs) (laughs) so i just love that every time every now and then i think about that and i'm like that what what a crazy time they're like yes ufos are real but like it got lost yeah but we're busy (laughs) (laughs) all right question two if you could clone yourself and live a different life what would the other you want to be or do? So for me, I think I would be a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, I be really good went doctor. to nursing school. Um, yeah, you did. And I experienced that and it was incredibly hard and um, humbling and beautifully awful. 
um, the yeah. situations that you're in, like running into the places where people don't want to go. Um, and I think that I would like to, I, I, I would like to do that in another life because I think there's no bigger service to humanity than that. Yeah. So um, I like to think of songwriting as a service to humanity too, if you go about mm-hmm. it that way. I try to, but I, but, but all my attempts at, you know, being of service to humanity would pale compared to what that is. So that's what yeah. I would choose. That's beautiful. And you can cut this out if you don't want to talk about it. But um, what Vic didn't say is that she went to nursing school during the pandemic. Yeah. So while we were making the podcast, I wasn't even aware for the first season yeah. or, you know, mid first season. I while we were making the podcast. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. didn't, you barely told anybody. And um, so during the height of COVID, during pre vaccine, during all of that, um, she went to nursing school while mm-hmm. writing and momming full time yeah. and wifing full time and all of life um, and homeschooling and everything and treated patients and did all of that. And uh, man, you are super woman. Well, it was it was crazy, but I've been working towards that on the side for a long time. And I've always yeah. I went to school for science, zoology. And mm-hmm. so I'm interested in that. And I wanted to be able to do that with my life, too. I tend to think of it that way. It's like, why do we have to just do one thing? And yeah. can't I grow as a writer if I experience more, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I went and it was the craziest thing to be doing it during the pandemic. And I didn't talk about it because I felt like people have, they make weird judgments about, oh, she's checking out of the business. She's yeah. done. And that's not what I was doing. No, 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 no. I was writing still and still I'm fully in it. But yeah. um, I was literally going from, you know, I'm wearing, I'm wearing an N95 and a surgical mask and a face shield. And I'm in, you know, working with COVID patients and I'm resuscitating people whose hearts just stopped and losing patients. And then going from there to go write a song yeah, and not talking about it. And it almost split me in half, honestly, because I don't know how to experience things like that and not talk about them and process Mm -hmm. them with my people that I work with. So it made it very difficult to um, not be able to have the transparency that I usually have. And Mm -hmm. that was probably not a good choice for me to make to not talk about it. But to be honest, I think it was a decision that I made out of my fear of being written off as a woman in the business (laughs) it's hard enough to be you know it's hard enough to be a writer and be taken seriously as a almost 50 year old woman and then to add that onto my plate and um i didn't know if i would still be given the same opportunities by people if they knew that i was doing that so but um but i did it and i'm proud that i did it and i didn't end up finishing it because i got offered this position teaching at belmont and it was a one chance in a lifetime thing and i'm so now that's taking the other half of my personality from from my songwriting time um i'm still doing both but yeah that was that was a big i don't even know how to express what that was like but i got to Mm -hmm. see and feel 
what it's like in those parts of life where no one else got to go in those times in COVID. Um, And I have such a huge respect for the people who are doing that work and Mm -hmm. nobody else knows what they're up against. Um, And we're out here arguing about masks and vaccines and screwing around and they're in there saving people's lives and fighting for people's lives and, you know, doing a 12 hour shift without a chance to sit down for lunch for 10 minutes because they're working too hard to save lives. So I see that and I see what's going on with our hospitals right now. And it's really overwhelming just having known what it's like on the inside. And I'm like, oh, I wish we could all, I wish I could take everybody in there to see it, just to know. Mm -hmm. And I think we would behave a little differently out here. Absolutely. So anyhow, that was a whole thing I went down. (laughs) No, I think I brought it up because I wanted to talk about it. Um, But yeah, you would have been an amazing doctor. Amazing doctor. <laughs> what about um, you? What would you do if you weren't a singer songwriter? For a while, I also wanted to be a doctor. I was Did working you? probably towards that for mm-hmm. a very long time. Um, but I just couldn't uh, get away from the fact that I always have been and always will be a creator, in addition to being a very academic person. Um, and I found that I more enjoyed the intellectual conversations and stuff like that. Um, but you know what, the older I get and the more of life I experience or want to experience, the more that I think that other me would ideally find a way to travel the world Mm -hmm. and work as little as possible doing the things that she loves, um, if possible for work and, experiencing life um traveling the world meeting people experiencing different cultures and finding a way to help other people um Mm. i think you know i've always been very entrepreneurial and done a lot of things and had ideas to do crazy helpful things from like whatever's presented and so I would love to I think traveling the world has always been a dream of mine and I I hope one day and think one day that I'll be able to take some time and do that but um I think I I follow a lot of people who are like remote workers and they travel the world Mm. and just work remotely and like bounce around wherever they want and I love that um I also for for this life that I think would still tie into that, I have a dream of starting a nonprofit or a grant program for musicians, um, specifically women and uh, people of color or, Mm. you know, differently abled people that aren't traditionally given a shot. And um, starting that and for one year, completely financing their life so they don't have to work and they don't have to worry and they can just focus on their art and not be burnt out and have access Mm. to do the things that they need to do to bring it up because as crazy as COVID was, um, it also was like the best crash course um, in evolution as a creator, (laughs) as a human being. And my my writing and my artistry has gotten 10 times better and it would have taken 10 times as long had we not been you know stuck for two years <laughs> forced to um, be with only yourself yeah yeah exactly and so I think you know I would love to give that to really deserving really talented people who maybe don't have the resources or the opportunities and just fully finance their lives for a year and yeah. give them resources and be like hey 
just go create and do make what you want to make. Yeah. Um, and so I think I would find a way in traveling and experiencing the world to do something like that or still come back to um, helping people like that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I love, I love medicine and grew up a kid that was always, you know, having to have surgery or be in the hospital. So yeah. I'm very um, aware on all that stuff and love medicine, but I don't realistically think it would have been the thing for me. So I think traveling and and doing that stuff a different way would have been it. Yeah. Wow. That's great. Yeah. Uh, So, okay. Let's see. What's the next question? Uh, What is one thing that people don't know about you? I think, I think for me, I mean, it's connected to the last answer talking about nursing school and the fact that I did that. Um, I would say that there's a song that I wrote with Mickey Guyton and Karen Kozowski and Emily called Bridges, which is the title track to her EP. Mm. And we wrote it on Zoom during the pandemic. And that morning I had gone to do a clinical shift in uh, nursing school and I had lost my first patient trying to Mm. resuscitate someone. And then I came back and I took uh threw a sweater on over my scrubs and I got on zoom and I wrote bridges <laughs> with, mm, wow. with Mickey and and um and it was all in one day and so don't try and tell me you can't do more than one thing that is true <laughs> that other things can't inform your songwriting so oh my goodness yeah. <laughs> that's so awesome I what didn't I didn't know that that's beautiful yeah. And I don't know or think it's something we've talked about, but I grew up, like I mentioned, we were talking about nursing. Um, I grew up really um, just having a lot of medical issues and um, almost died when I was a baby with some lung stuff and then had my first surgery at seven. Um, You know, I have pretty bad scoliosis that to this day affects my body and, um, I, for two years, uh, around like 10 to 12, was out of school for two years, um, sick, and they couldn't figure out what was wrong. I had about 13 surgeries in the span of a year and a half. Um, And I think, you know, I'm pretty open about that. I may have mentioned something, but I think for me, like that, I don't think I talk a lot about how much that isolation and difference, um, which is why looking at kids going through the pandemic being at Mm. home and not being able to go to school is very close to home for me um, because I know exactly what that does. Um, I think it's very hard to understand, but I I spent about two years out of school having surgeries and doing all this stuff. And when I got back, um, I really found, and it's taken up truly until the last couple years to really feel like I found my footing. But Um, I lost like two years of human contact and socialization Mm -hmm. and simultaneously having to experience really mature adult things and 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 pain and all of this stuff and um, I found it really hard to connect with my peers or Mm. or care in the least like truly I I really struggled with um, making friends or maintaining the ones I had previously because I was just like, 
none of this matters. I don't care about who has a crush on who or XYZ, like having gone from that very traumatic experience into normal life again was very weird. Um, and I really struggled to like, I, I couldn't pick up where I left off, but also everyone was in a mat. You change a lot from like 10, 11 to like 13. Right. Mm-hmm. And so imagine getting plopped back into life that like everything's changed people are interested in different it's it was crazy and so I think for me a lot of that turned into me like I left you know high school I didn't show up half the time I was in LA working and I was fine with that because I didn't I couldn't really feel too much of a connection to people and I wanted something Mm -hmm. bigger and different and I wanted to be emotional and create and do all this stuff and and so I found that in a different way but Hmm. I think it also made me very varied, like just chase whatever I want to do. But it's yeah. it's very difficult. I think if people don't know that I have kind of that background, it can sometimes seem a little chaotic. It's so um, interesting that you went into a business of connection. Like mm-hmm. songwriting is connection with other yeah. people. You're just doing it in a different way. Um, exactly. Yeah. So that was really formative and yeah. probably in your choice of what direction to go. Yeah. And also, I think it really was super helpful as a songwriter Um, because I I was a singer beforehand. I was always a little singer and Mm -hmm. I also didn't sing that entire time two years. It was really weird. Um, But yeah, the business of connection, whether uh, subconsciously at the time, but Mm -hmm. I always kind of knew that's why. And that's was uh, in addition to I always had a passion beforehand. But um, yeah, and I think it really was like the saving grace, which is why watching kids go through this pandemic, I'm like, mm-hmm. gotta have an outlet, gotta have something. And, and, you know, even I found myself in college years later going like, I don't know how to like do this friends thing. Aww. Like I've yeah. never, like people are remembering birthdays and doing X, Y, Z. And I like had to have a little bit of like, oh, like, is wow. this what you do? Because it was, it was so interesting and I wouldn't change anything, but it was definitely like. That's so wild, Sarah, because that's like, you seem like the, you've always come across to me as someone who connects very quickly with people. Oh, thank um, you. Maybe you overcompensated in that department and figured maybe. out how to do it better than most people can. Because yeah. you are just, you're the kind of person that if you're, if you're in a room with you and you start talking with you, you feel a connection instantly. And you're very... Um, inquisitive and you ask people questions about themselves and a lot of people don't do that a lot of people only want to talk and don't want to listen and Mm -hmm. you've really um you've really learned how to do that in such a beautiful way that draws people out of themselves so and thus here we are doing this podcast yeah um, i think ironically part of that is is the inability to surface connect means you you just want to go deep yeah um and so i think that ironic but um, makes sense yeah maybe it is an overcompensation thing but here <laughs> well, we are and it turned out bad, for the best i'm not saying it's a bad thing it's a good overcompensation <laughs> no I, yeah, yeah it turned out for the best so so um, that kind of leads me into what this next question what is your favorite mm-hmm. thing about yourself i i kind of think it's that what mm. we were just talking about the mm-hmm. um I always try to understand and be there for people even when they don't know or think that they need it. And I think a lot of that is that wanting for connection. I think when you're without something for a long time, you're very hyper vigilant and hyper aware yeah. um, in those situations. And for me, I, I was always very 
outside um, of situations. And so I, I think I always am the first person to notice when someone is not being included in a conversation mm-hmm. or is not being given the time of day or is talking and someone cuts them off mm-hmm. and nobody notices and no one cares. So I'll always try to be like, oh, what were you saying? You know, yes. stuff like that. I um, Because I know what that's like. And that was one of my most disheartening like things about that experience. And so um, I think that, you know, some I definitely don't always get it right. Um, and sometimes I've had to learn how to like have healthy boundaries with that stuff because, you know, yeah. that's a very interesting thing to care so much about other people. But yeah, um, I think, yeah. What about you? Um, my favorite thing about myself, strangely enough, <laughs> I think it's my pain. Mm. <laughs> I feel like the pain that I've been through in life as horrible as it was, and I wouldn't choose it again, (laughs) (laughs) um, has made me better Mm. in so many ways and in ways of connecting with people, in ways of looking at my life with more perspective, um, in ways of feeling more confident and more strong, I'm really grateful for those (laughs) big painful experiences, um, which I've had a few of. So um, that's a weird answer, but. No, I think it's beautiful. And I think it's very true. You are always one of the kindest people in any room and very aware and and have this ability to be lighthearted, but deep. And I think Mm -hmm. that only comes from someone who has been through Helen back and and also been able to look back on it with perspective and and healing so songwriting I, man yeah yeah <laughs> it's like, hey it's, it's, again brought you right to that songwriting yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah okay so we've got one last one yeah what advice would you give to the younger you I would go back and tell myself don't underestimate your own power in choosing how you see your life Mm -hmm. and choosing how you feel about the things that happen to you because you're the one that sets the tone for everyone around you and for the rest of the world to perceive you. So Mm -hmm. you actually have some agency in, do I choose to be upset about this? Do I choose to make it into something good for me? Do I, you know, it's like a pick, it's like a pick your battles in combination with a don't listen to what other people are trying to tell you about the way things are, the way they should be, and just choose how you want to see it for yourself. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah. What about you? Beautiful. I think mine is in a similar lane. Um, I feel like one of the biggest lessons I've had to learn as a person, as a creator, especially when you get into this industry and when you start having success and, um, you know, seeing how complicated life is, um, I would say learn how to control and heal and have balance with 
your mind. I mm-hmm. tend to ruminate a lot mm. and overthink a lot mm-hmm. and um, am definitely a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> um, and so I think learn how to see and acknowledge that about yourself, but also learn how to calm it, how to not fall into that hole because that can really be like Alice in Wonderland Mm -hmm. just like you fall down the rabbit hole and you can't get out kind of thing Mm -hmm. Um, and so many experiences where I was so worried and so upset I had nothing to worry about but in my head I had thought about all the horrible things that could go wrong or whatever Mm -hmm. Um, and it's super helpful in certain situations but a lot of that comes from fear and ego and so as as early in life as you can learn how to deal with and live with that, um, do. And I also think it's important to understand, especially in this industry, but with anything, especially how the world is now, um, to not overexert yourself, to not set your standard at 150% because Mm. that is not sustainable or attainable. Mm. Um, And I truly like the best things that have happened in my life and my career have happened since I've stopped doing so much Mm. and spinning my wheels. Um, and, but it's, it's deeper than just going, Oh, I'm not going to book 10 sessions. I'm, you know, it's, it's deeper than that. It really was really deeply ingrained in me. Um, that if, if I didn't work 150%, then I, wasn't then I was lazy um (laughs) and I think there's a lot to be said for not just resting but actually giving your body and your mind and your emotions time to just be without doing anything so um I think that is you know as early as you can learn that and deal with that and learn to live with and balance that part of yourself the better off you will be (laughs) that's a tough one for I mean I have the same but yeah you're speaking my language yeah. It's a it's a tough thing to to balance, but um, yeah, you got to make time for you. You got to make time for your your health, your mental health, all of yeah. those things. You can't just completely dedicate yourself to work twenty four seven, and that's what yeah. I've done for many years. So it's, and what do you have to write about if you don't live? exactly? There's that that was exactly. I got stuck in that. I was like, I don't have anything Experience to say. Life <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 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 Well, wow, we have left it all on the table today, yeah. have we? <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks for coming along yeah. that journey with us, guys. Yeah. Yeah. We're really happy to be back and happy to have you with us. Thanks for the great questions. It's so yes. great to hear from you all out there. And hopefully what we're doing is is helpful to you in some way. Yeah. Um, we really love sharing the stories of the women in the business around us and we'll continue to do that this year. So if you have yeah. people that you would like us to speak to, um, then contact or us. Or more and let questions. Us questions, yeah. more questions. Yes, Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. All right. And we will see you next time. To stay up to date on all things The Table on social media, join us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at the handle at sign the table women. Our theme song, Stop You, is written and performed by yours truly, Sarah DeFores, co-written by Taylor Foley and Will McBeth, and produced by Will McBeth. And as always, we'll include links to any creatives, music, television, etc. referenced in this episode in the episode notes. We'll see you next time on The, the table. table. Do what you want, work what you got, say what you think, and don't let them stop you. Stop you, don't let them stop. Stop you, don't let them stop you. Stop you. Don't let